Thank you, Tsile. That brings the time now to six minutes past 12 o'clock. The National Prosecuting Authority says it believes it has a strong case against Paralympian Oscar Pistorius. The multiple gold medalists had been formally charged with the murder of his girlfriend, Riva Stenkamp, on Valentine's Day earlier this year. He faces an additional charge of illegal possession of ammunition. Now, for more on this, we joined on the line by our reporter, Lila Machnes. Lila, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Uh, tell us about this morning's court proceedings. Well, this morning's court proceedings were supposed to start at 9 o'clock and then um, State Advocate Kari now said that it would start at 9.30 and then eventually we started at quarter to 10. It was basically just supposed to be um, uh, the State officially handing over the indictment to Pistorius' legal team so that they know exactly what the State is charging in with. But while Pistorius waited in court, he was standing in the dock um, he held his brother and his sister's hand, and his, uh, his sister was praying. And she, at some stage, you know, at, during the prayers, she started to cry, and he started to cry as well. You could see it was, it seemed that it was a difficult court appearance for him, because as you know, it is Rivestian um, comes birthday today, or it would have been a 30th birthday today. And some of her friends were in court as well, and it was very emotional for them as well. They were holding each other and crying, and it's just been an emotional day in court today. Now, Mr. Pastorius denies murdering his girlfriend. Uh, was he asked to plead? No, he was not asked to plead. He was only given the indictment today. The state is saying in the indictment that um, they will call some witnesses who heard a woman scream, followed by moments of silence, and then heard gunshots, and then more screaming. They're saying that he had, um, he had the intention to kill a person, um, when he shot the, in the direction of the toilet door, and even though it is a mistake of uh, a, a situation of mistaken identity that Stenkamp was behind the door, it doesn't matter, it doesn't change the case because he had the intention to kill a human being, and that is what they are building the case on. They are, their witness list from the state is 107 people, amongst them is the story of his sister, his brother, his uncle, and his father. The, um, there's about nine people from the police's forensic laboratory on the witness list, and there is a police's cell phone expert also on the list, and he's testified in numerous cases where he uses the cell phones to put people at certain places at a certain time, or by, um, you know, getting information from a phone that's been deleted. Uh, on the witness list is the story of his ex-girlfriend, Samantha Taylor, as well. So we kind of, from the witnesses, we kind of get an idea, you know, how the state is going to try and prove their case against Soria. Mm-hmm. Now, the, uh, he, faces, um, the, he faces a formal murder charge now on, uh, of his girlfriend, Riva Stenkamp. What level is that murder charge on? Well, the magistrate during the bail uh, application said that it was a schedule six murder charge, which it still is. Um, so it means that it's got a minimum sentence on, in terms of the minimum sentence uh, law and minimum sentences. So the murder usually carries a minimum sentence of life imprisonment. So what his team, legal team, will have to prove is exceptional and um, circumstances why the, the court should not, you know, stay within the minimum sentence when it gets to sentencing and if he is found guilty. But first they will have to prove, you know, either the state will have to prove that he did have the intention to kill Stienka. That's our reporter on the scene, Lila Machnes. We are now joined on the line by Professor Stephen Toussaint from the Wits University Law Clinic. Professor, good afternoon to you. 
Good afternoon. Now, she had an indictment for the murder of Riva Steenkamp and the illegal possession of ammunition has been served uh, to the defence team of Oscar Pistorius. Uh, what do you think is the way now forward for, for him? Well, the, there's a lot of work to be done. They will have received copies of the contents of the police investigation docket, which will have statements of every witness they intend to call, sworn statements. They will go through these with a fine-tooth comb to see exactly what these witnesses can say. There will be forensic reports in this uh, docket. There will be ballistics, uh, bullets, guns, blood spatter, angles, uh, you know, a whole lot of... The key to this case is the forensic evidence because we have we only have one uh, eyewitness version and that's the accused himself and he's given a version that says, I thought I was under threat, under attack by an intruder and I shot in self-defense. And so the state case is based entirely on the forensic evidence, and they're going to try and draw an objective picture from the blood, ballistics, and everything as to try and show that his version is not correct. Now what, now, what about the witnesses? The the witnesses, well, as I said, there's only one eyewitness. Mm-hmm. There's only one person who can tell us what actually happened, and that is Oscar himself. There are witnesses, for example, neighbors who heard screaming and shouting, and they can take the matter somewhat forward but uh, you know when it comes down to it we've got the state's uh, the basis of the state's case will be to negative his version and so there's a lot of work to be done by the defense by going through the forensic evidence all the reports all the eyewitness all, all the, the witness statements and in um, and prepare defense based on what the state is going to bring against him. Is there any possible approach that the defense team will uh, the, the, the defense team will take here, Professor? Well, any criminal case consists of two elements. There's the, the criminal act, which is the shooting of someone and killing them, and then there's the criminal intention, which accompanies that act. To be guilty of murder, he has to have intended to unlawfully kill someone. Now, you can intend to kill somebody lawfully if it's self-defense. And that's what Oscar's relying on. He's saying, I thought I was being attacked. We know objectively that he wasn't being attacked, that it was Reva in the toilet. And so he's relying on an intention defense, which we call putative self-defense, which says, I thought I was being attacked. I honestly believed I was being attacked. I lacked the intention to murder. Now, the state can get a conviction on murder if they can show that Oscar knew that he could kill someone by shooting like this, and he, he knew that he had no real right to, do, to act as he did, and he persisted in his behavior. We call that indirect intention. Yeah. Of course, there's a competent verdict of culpable homicide, which means even if he lacked the intention to murder someone, he was not careful. According to the standard of a reasonable man, he was negligent in causing her death, and that is a crime punishable as well. Now, the state seems determined uh, to nail Pistorius here with the possible addition, uh, additional of the, uh, sorry, additional charges, uh, the two charges of recklessly discharging a firearm in a public place. Now, how serious is this extra charge? Well, in the context, it's, it's small fry when we've got the murder charge hanging over his head. Uh, the, the state is entitled to preferred charges against an accused if there's evidence of criminal conduct. It looks a little bit Johnny come lately and one wonders why it's only being prosecuted now. Um, and as is speculated in the weekend press, the idea is that they're trying to, through these charges, indicate 
that this is his predisposition, that he's a, a violent person or prone to anger. Now, the indictment uh, that, that has been now uh, laid against uh, Oscar Pistorius, because you mentioned that the, uh, uh, the, the firearm charges or discharging a firearm in public places is a small fry. The indictment, is that very serious? Because we, uh, we also talked to our journalist a little bit earlier, and she said it's still a level six. That is still very serious. Well, Schedule 6 is a schedule uh, attached to the Criminal Procedure Act whose application is for bail applications. We only look at this charge of murder in two contexts. A person who's seeking bail on a Schedule 6, it's more difficult. Mm -hmm. Exceptional circumstances have to exist to get bail. And the other context in which Schedule 6 is relevant is sentencing, where there are minimum sentences prescribed for premeditated murder. My opinion, my feeling on this is that Premeditated murder contemplates someone who sits down and plans a hit. It's not the spontaneous argument situation where you get angry with someone and you respond in violence and shoot them. That, in my view, doesn't constitute premeditated murder. Uh, and yeah, so, so the, the, the relevance of a Schedule 6 is the circumstances and it, and it has application with regard to sentence. Thank you so much. Life imprisonment is a possibility. Thank you so much, Professor Stephen Toussaint, giving us an analysis uh, on the issue of uh, Oscar Pistorius there from Wits University Law Clinic. It is now 16 minutes past 12 o'clock. Our top story at this hour, the National Prosecuting Authority says it believes it has a strong case against Olympian Oscar Pistorius. And looking at the markets, gold is trading at $1,377.84 an ounce, platinum at $1,518.35 an ounce. The rand is trading at 10 rand and 14 cents against the U.S. dollar, at 15 rand and 89 cents to the pound, and at 13 rand and 53 cents to the euro. Join me, Hilton Tarrant, every weeknight at 6 for the SAFM Market Update with MoneyWeb. With breaking business news, expert analysis, investment insights and the story behind the story, we're helping you make sense of the markets and your money. That's the Market Update, weeknights right here on SAFM at 6. South Africa's already constrained power system is put under severe strain as the cold weather sets in. Please switch off your geysers, pool pumps and non-essential appliances during the evening peak period. Minimize the use of electric heaters, especially during the peak period between 5 p.m. and 9 p.m. by dressing warmly, using gas heaters, hot water bottles and blankets. So keep warm while using less electricity and help us beat the peak to keep South Africa powered up. ESCOM. Powering your world. It is now 17 minutes past 12. The Constitutional Court has turned down an appeal application brought by lawyers for the injured and arrested mine workers participating in the Marikana Commission of Inquiry. In a unanimous decision, the Constitutional Court judges declined to overturn an interim order by the North Gauteng High Court. The High Court said that the state was not obliged to fund the mine workers' lawyers in the interim, pending a review on the funding issue. Senior Constitutional Court reporter Candace Klein has the details. Today, this court hands down a unanimous judgment in a matter connected to a deeply painful set of events in our recent history. During August 2012, a number of people were injured and killed during violence that arose out of events at the Marikana mine in Rustenburg. 
Chief Justice Mohueng Mohueng, in handing down the court's decision, emphasized that this case was brought on a very narrow basis, dealing with one aspect of the funding dispute. Lawyers for the mine workers had been funded by an NGO for the first six months of the commission. When these funds ran out, they applied to the Justice Minister and Legal Aid SA for funding. When this application was turned down, they approached the North Gauteng High Court. They asked the court to order the state to pay their legal fees in the interim until they managed to take the decision to refuse funding on review. It was this application that the High Court denied. Chief Justice Mohueng Mohueng explains. It denied the applicant's claim. This was on the basis that it was constitutionally inappropriate for a court in interim proceedings to direct the executive on how to expand public resources in the absence of proof of unlawfulness fraud or corruption. No fraud or corruption was claimed in this case. The High Court also found that there was no unlawfulness in the refusal to grant the applicant's legal aid. The judges recognized that it may be commendable and fair for the state to provide legal funding to the mine workers, but it said this was not a sufficient basis for this court to intervene in the matter. Chief Justice Mohueng Mohueng says the Constitutional Court rarely ever hears appeals on interim orders which have no final effect. Whilst the court emphasizes that it is not finally determined in the matter, it holds that the applicants have been unable to show why the High Court's finding on unlawfulness should be overturned. The application for leave to appeal against the High Court's interim order is therefore dismissed. This should not be taken to mean that there are legal constraints that prevent the state from granting the legal aid the applicants seek. The judges noted that this case holds implications for the doctrine of separation of powers as it concerns the way the state uses public resources. Meanwhile, the Marikana Commission of Inquiry is expected to resume later this afternoon. The commission had been stalled when lawyers representing the mine workers withdrew over the funding dispute. That report by Candace Klein in Johannesburg. Now, for more on this, we are joined on the line by one of the lawyers representing the miners at the Morikana Commission of Inquiry, Attorney Andres Nkome. Mr Nkome, good afternoon to you. What is your reaction to the Constitutional Court's ruling? Mr Nkome, can you hear me? Hello, hello. Hello, can you hear me now? Hello, sir. Hi, can you hear me? It seems like we, we have a, a slight uh, disconnection there on the line. We're going to try and get uh, Mr. Nkomo back and uh, try and see if we can get a comment there from him. In the meantime, uh, you can get in touch with us. Of course, uh, the SMS line is uh, here on Midday Live. Uh, you can uh, get us on uh, the email address uh, middaylive at sabc.co.za. You can also send us an SMS, that is, on uh, 34701. That is the SMS line, 34701. And you can follow us on Twitter. That Twitter handle is uh, SAFM Midday Live. SAFM Midday Live. If you're worried about your financial future, thinking about life insurance, saving for retirement, not sure about investing for you and your family, what about your children's education? To answer all your questions, join me, Brian Hirsch, Tuesday morning, 10 o'clock. For it, and now it's here. SAFM proudly presents the best of the African Connection Christian Wamba, the dance edition. 
Dance yourself silly in this compilation of the best dance numbers of the African Connects of Bridging Wamba. Now available at reputable CD outlets. Early on, you heard the Constitutional Court stand down an appeal application brought by the lawyers for the injured and arrested mine workers participating in the Marikana Commission of Inquiry. The High Court said that the state was not obliged to fund the mine workers' lawyers in the interim pending a review of the funding issue. Now, for, uh, uh, for, for feedback on this, we joined on the line by one of the lawyers representing the miners at the Marikana Commission of Inquiry, Attorney Andres Nkomo. Mr Nkomo, we lost you a little bit early. Are you back? I'm back, yes, sir. Now, what is your reaction to the Constitutional Court's ruling? We went through and got instructions from clients. So the client informed us that we should now go to the commission and have it informed that this is what the finding of the court was. And in the light of their earlier submission, uh, we cannot be participating in the commission because there isn't funding as yet. And on the issues relating to our application uh, to the next step going forward, we are yet to get instructions from them as uh, to what to do next. So now you will not get the funding. What happens now? Will you then still represent the miners? We take instructions from them, and it will be after the commission uh, being told that we, we, we did not get a favorable judgment from the Concord that we can sit again with them and take instructions. So you're first going to sit with them before you, you will know the outcome, what, what will happen next? We will first sit with them before we know the outcome, yes. Now, seeing that you are not going to get the funding, are you struggling financially, or will you be able to challenge the matter uh, in, in, at, at the Commission based on principle? Um, the Commission is going then to be making a decision on to whether or not uh, the, 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 it will continue in our actions. Um, the Commission is going to be saying this after we've told you that we, we haven't had the favorable from the Home Court. So you will not be challenging the court's decision? We'll take a fraction from that. Um, it, 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 the court has said that it's dismissing our application solely on the basis that the interim order could not have been brought to the Concord. And therefore it means that therefore Part B of our application, which was at the, at the, at the, at the uh, North Housing High Court, can still be challenged. So it cannot be challenged? Can still be challenged. Can still be challenged. So there's still the, avail- the, 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 the possibility of you challenging it and moving forward? There, there still be a, a possibility of challenging the, the, the decision of the North High Court because the Concord, as far as my understanding, only expressed itself onto part A of our application to the High Court and not uh, the, the last part. Now, even if you do not get the funding, would you be able to do this case pro bono for the mine workers? The, 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 the issues relating to the extent of, of assistance that can be granted. Remember, the other parties in the commission are able to build evidence on the on, like, uh, photos that are enlarged and show that there's a resource that, that is required. It will therefore require the the the, the, the to see that say at least we can possibly put in our time, but uh, resources to this extent will still be required for the for the uh, participation that must continue in the commission. 
And that's where we got to leave it. That's uh, one of the lawyers representing the miners at the Marikana Commission of Inquiry, Attorney Andreessen Kome. Brings the time now to 26 minutes uh, past uh, 12 o'clock. The Sariti Commission of Inquiry into the multi-billion rand arms deal has started in Pretoria. Chairperson Judge Sariti says the first witness will start testifying tomorrow. The commission was postponed on August the 5th after it was decided that time was needed to decide how to proceed with declassifying documents relevant to the injury, or to the inquiry rather. Now for more on this, uh, we joined on the line by our reporter, Joseph Masua. Uh, Joseph, good afternoon to you. Uh, good afternoon, Elvis. Uh, Joseph, Judge Willie Sariti explained what would happen during the day's proceeding. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yes, uh, they used this morning basically to just outline what pro- what the program is going to be. Uh, the, 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 the judge just uh, uh, opened briefly, but uh, most of the morning was taken up by uh, by, by, by the evidence leaders, uh, Tayop uh, Abu Bakr. Uh, first, uh, the, the, basically, just to outline that uh, the first uh, phase of the of the of the of the inquiry is going to be uh, is going to involve government uh, giving justification for uh, the purchase of the, of the armaments, and then the second uh, phase is going to involve uh, those people that have complained about the arms deal. They are going to be then given the, the, the evidence, the, the, the chance to 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 put their case as to why they they think uh, that there was corruption or why they think that uh, there was no need to purchase the, the armaments. So the, the, the that they spent the morning explaining that, and tomorrow uh, we're starting with the first uh, with the first uh, witnesses, and the first one is going to be Admiral Green from the South African Navy, uh, together with uh, his three colleagues, uh, Admirals Hicks as well as Schultz. They will basically outline what the, the, the needs were of the Navy at the time, and and why why they specifically uh, chose the the. the, the the, the, the type of equipment that they chose. So this is the, 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 the outline they were giving this morning. Uh, was the resignation of Judge Francis Lahori addressed in today's proceedings, perhaps? No, that was not raised at all because uh, it was concluded uh, when the president gave, uh, when the president changed the mandate of the commission to allow it to operate with only two uh, commissioners while he is still making up his mind whether to, to appoint the third. So uh, the, 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 the current commissioners are the only uh, commissioners of the commission at the moment. So that issue did not arise because uh, the, the, it is now legal for them to operate as only two of them. Joseph, Joseph Mosier. Uh, the SABC reporter on the scene thank you so much for your time that brings the time now to 29 minutes past 12 o'clock on the SMS line Uh, Joe in Peter Marisburg says the Concord's decision is highly regrettable Uh, that decision taken there not to fund uh, the uh, lawyers of the the miners of Marikana and Mpepus no this one from Douglas uh, in Fourway says uh, Mpofu et al should uh, now do the honourable thing and offer their services pro bono can they rise to the high road or the high ground, says uh, uh, Douglas uh, in four ways. That brings the time to 12.30. It is time for the news headlines.
Thank you, Otsile. 29 minutes before the hour of one on the uh, Twitter page. Uh, Tulani says the ANC and NUM are sellouts. Uh, Wilson says, uh, Bongi, how will the government attend Marikana when it's ridiculed by those organizing the event? Now, that uh, is not uh, Bongi, Wilson. It is Elvis today. But let's cross over to Shadow Twala to find out what's happening on the program today. Good afternoon, Shadow. Good afternoon, Elvis. Today we zoom in on Generation X offering them a workshop on how best to understand and manage risk. And my guest is Executive Director of the SA Responsible Gambling Foundation, Nana Makhomola. So if you have a teenager in the family, I suggest you tune in. Well, there you have it. So if you have a teenager in the family, tune into that program. I guess you should, hey? It is uh, now 28 minutes before 1 o'clock. Now, you can also send us your SMS to that number, 34701. That is the SMS line uh, for Midday Live. You can also send us that Twitter, uh, the Twitter handle at SAFM Midday Live, or email us to Midday Live at SABC. Let's now go to Egypt. At least 24 Egyptian policemen have been killed in an ambush attack in the Sinai Peninsula. Medical sources and officials said the police were in two buses which came under attack from armed men close to the town of uh, Rafa on the Gaza border. Meanwhile, 36 Islamic militants in Egypt died while they were uh, being transported to a prison outside Cairo. Government and military officials said they had uh, suffocated in the back of a prison van from the uh, effects of the tear gas fired when the prisoners rioted. However, There were other reports of gunfire. The Brotherhood described the incident as cold-blooded killing. The European Union ambassadors are meeting in Brussels to discuss the EU's response to the continuing crisis in Egypt. The BBC's Matthew Price reports from Brussels. There are many here in Brussels who are concerned about just that issue. Uh, There is a moral imperative, I think, that many countries in the European Union feel to do something. Uh, And yet at the same time, as Sweden's Foreign Minister Carl Bildt pointed out in in the last few days, um, they wouldn't want to do something that actually resulted in some of the quite clear diplomatic channels that they have at the moment being closed. That said, it's quite interesting if you break down some of that foreign aid from the EU to Egypt, a lot of it actually at the moment is not flowing to Egypt because up until this point, the Egyptian government hasn't been meeting the criteria for that aid to be unlocked. Uh, Criteria involve, uh, for instance, transparency in governance, uh, um, the the reduction of corruption. That hasn't been happening and so the money hasn't actually been handed over. Um, There is some uh, 450 million euros, what's that, about 550 million US dollars of aid, which uh, in roughly the last year has been handed over from the EU institutions to, uh, to Egypt, but it's gone to civil society projects, I'm told. So water and sanitation, building the Cairo metro system, the underground system, for instance. And EU sources are stressing that at the moment, EU aid is not going to public institutions, to the government. Um, So in that sense, any freezing of that aid would be more a sort of symbolic freezing, if you like, rather than actually stopping the money flows here and now. And uh, that was... uh the BBC's Matthew Price reporting from Brussels. Now, for an update on this and other news developing in Egypt, we joined on the line by political editor for the Daily News Egypt, Sara Abubakar. Sara, good afternoon to you. Hi, how are you? Very well, thank you. Briefly, tell us about the recent attacks. Uh, both police and uh, arrested protesters killed in uh, suspicious attacks. Uh, yes, uh, last night, Obviously, the uh, protesters were arrested, were killed inside one of the anti-riot vehicles. 
We don't know the exact details. We just got information from the human rights lawyer uh, on site who said that they have not been shot, but they have suffocated. Also, we have 24 police concepts who died uh, early this morning. They were targeted in Sinai by an RPG operated by militants. Now, what is the situation like on the ground currently there in Egypt? In Egypt, the situation is quite tense. It is slightly better uh, in different neighborhoods. I think there are more armed men running around the, the streets now. But there are demonstrations still planned by Muslim Brotherhood supporters and Muslim supporters. The people are bracing for more demonstrations uh, tonight. We understand that there's also been a crackdown on journalists as well. Uh, well, there have been, there have been several incidents. Uh, the NGOs uh, in Egypt have counted over 20 different journalists who were either arrested by the police, arrested by the police, or attacked by protesters. Uh, people are very, very wary of, uh, of the foreigners nowadays. They are very worried, but at least the, um, the journalists arrested have, have so far not uh, reported any kind of uh, violation or uh, any kind of uh, uh, attack on the person. They will only arrested so far. However, in, in covering the demonstrations, the armed uh, uh, Muslim supporters have caused several journalists, including the head of the foreign correspondents in Egypt, uh, well-known uh, German correspondent in for the last 20 uh, years, and he has resisted informing Germans against the attacks from uh, demonstrations against the person and uh, from virus coverage. That's a uh, political uh, editor for the Daily News in Egypt, uh, Sora Abu Bakr, uh, uh, in Egypt, and we'd like to apologize for that uh, bad connection there it's, uh, and the bad sound quality coming from Egypt. Uh, but at least you, we got an update as to what is happening currently in Egypt. It is now 12.37. You can keep them coming. That's your SMSs on that line, 34701. That's the midday uh, live line, 34701. You can follow us on Twitter at uh, SAFM Midday Live, and you can email us on Midday Live at sabc.co.za The National Union of uh, Metal Workers of South African NUMSA has brought the Automobile Association uh, manufacturing uh, to, a, to a halt around the country. Now this after the nation's biggest union in the industry has embarked on an open-ended nationwide strike which is expected to affect over 30,000 assembly line workers. Workers are demanding a 14% salary increase and major car makers including Toyota, Ford, General Motors and Nissan were only prepared to offer 6% during negotiations to replace the three-year wage deal ending on June the 30th. Now for more on this, we joined on the line by our reporter Asanda Ntami who joins us from Port Elizabeth. Asanda, good afternoon and what is the latest in the manufacturing plants around the Eastern Cape area? Well, in the Nelson Mandela uh, Bay Metropolitan uh, Metro, uh, where you would find a GM plant uh, for Fahren in Munich and Ford, uh, over 5,000 uh, NUMSA workers have been picketing outside three different plants within the metro uh, over the wage. Uh, they're demanding, as you say, uh, an increase of 14%. Uh, they said they started their negotiations around 20% but have settled or within, they've uh, agreed within their members that 14% they shall settle for, but that will actually do 
below that, they say uh, this is due to the fact that uh, the cost of living today with the constant increases in petrol and food and making it difficult for them as well, because for most of them, uh, it's not just a matter of supporting their immediate families, but most of them tend to support uh, their family relatives back at home where they were originally uh, born, uh, as they are working here now in the metro, some support relatives and so on. So they say 14% for them, uh, or any double-digit percentage will work or nothing else. Mm. Now, you mentioned a figure of 5,000 workers. Have they gathered to, uh, at the plant? Yes, they, well, they're in different uh, plants, as I say. Uh, we have, within the National Mandela Bay Metro, uh, three towns, uh, one being Yutnik, where you would find Volkswagen. There's quite a number of them there. If I were to divide the 5,000, I would say just over 1,000 there. And then in PE, where you would find General Motors together with uh, Ford, uh, you have quite a substantive, substantive number of NOSA members there. Uh, currently, they were busy outside. Uh, their workplace protesting and, and, and carrying pick, uh, carrying cards, which uh, some of them are reaching that uh, nothing less than double digits, and, 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 and the cost of living is too high for us to settle for anything less, and so on. So, uh, combining those three plans, roughly they would come close to around 5,000 Munsa members. What are you hearing on the ground? Uh, is there a sign of any violence? Uh, well, from them, they say uh, the negotiations have been uh, well, they were initiated around April and only on Friday last week uh, where their leaders actually uh, sent out uh, a notification saying by today they shall uh, down tools. But uh, relatively, the strike has been fairly peaceful. Uh, it's basically frustration from just the workers. They say they just cannot afford to be without pay. They just cannot afford to be out of work at the moment. Uh, the situation is not ideal. So for, to, from their side, they say they would like this to be settled as a matter of urgency. You remember the last uh, negotiations between the two parties uh, within this industry lasted for eight days. So they're hoping that this will be uh, settled within this week, hopefully by, say, Wednesday and definitely before Friday. That's what they're hoping for. So for them, it's a matter of making sure that uh, as the negotiations continue in Johannesburg, they, they actually come to a resounding and comfortable uh, solution for both parties. And, uh, of course, that's our reporter, Sundan Tami, who joins us from Port Elizabeth. Now, for more on the impact of the strike, uh, which is having on other parts of the country, we're joined on the line by our reporter, Dries Liebenberg, who joins us from KwaZulu-Natal. Dries, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Now, South Africa's largest and biggest vehicle manufacturer, Toyota, has already confirmed that there will be no production today. What is the situation at the Toyota plant in that province? Yes, um, about 80 per percent of the workers of this um, company has uh, stayed away from work. Uh, indications uh, were early, um, early this morning that things are quiet at the plant, uh, no pickets or protests. Uh, but as you say, Toyota is the top-selling vehicle manufacturer in the country. And uh, because it sources parts and components from other smaller companies, it plays a substantial role in KwaZulu-Natal's e economy. Mm, yeah. uh, one must, however, uh, keep in mind that these suppliers' workers are not on strike. But uh, if the strike drags on for a long time, the danger is that those workers will be put on short time. Mm. Have the workers gathered at the plant, though? Um, we don't have any 
uh, indication uh, that that has happened. Mm-hmm. That's our reporter, Dries Liebenberg, who joined us from uh, KwaZulu-Natal. That's an update there from all the strikes happening countrywide. Now, remember, you can send us your comments on the SMS line, 34701. That uh, is the SMS line. Start your, you don't have to start your SMS with the weekend. <laughs> you can just send it to 34701. That's the SMS line there. You can also like us on that Twitter page. Uh, the Twitter page or the Twitter handle is... Uh, at SAFM Midday Live. At SAFM Midday Live. On the uh, SMS line, somebody says here, without signing it, it says the union should be responsible for the legal fees. Uh, they should be responsible to pay them. And uh, the speaker, Max Sulu, is, uh, uh, is a legitimate gangster in Parliament. Jeez, now that's very strong. From who? Mr. Sulu is not ignorant. I can't make out this SMS. Uh, so we'll come back to some of those uh, in a short while. Remember, you can send them to that number, 3470. One and uh, of course the Twitter handle is there. You can also utilize the email address. That uh, email address midday live at uh, sabc.co.za. It is time to take a look at the markets. Uh, let's go to the dealer room at Sassman Securities with Sudhir Singh. Sudhir, good afternoon to you. Today's JSE report is brought to you by Telcom Business. Convergence, one solution, one service provider. Telcom Business. Well, I forgot that one is sponsored. So, Sudhir, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Albert. How are the markets looking at the start of a new week? Well, uh, global markets have kicked off uh, the week on the back foot as investors uh, trade on the side of caution on expectation the U.S. Fed will begin pulling back its stimulus. After gains last week, uh, European markets have retreated uh, this morning, led lower by Extrata. Over on Wall Street, uh, stocks are likely to experience uh, challenges this week as more retailers report earnings which are expected to be subdued on the back of a pullback in consumer spending. Locally, uh, with the lack of any real market moving data this morning, the JSC has followed its global counterpart slightly lower. In corporate news, uh, Apple reported that it expects uh, earnings for the current year to fall despite record sale volumes in the second half of the year. Just taking a look at our local indices, we've got the gold index, which is down 1,1%. Resource 10 index is up 0,1%. Industrial 25 index is up 0,1%. The financial index is down 0,7%. And overall, the market is down around 25 points, or 0,1% to 43,019. Now, if the market is down, we are very curious to find out what's happening with stocks, which are on the move today. On the upside, we do have a a few to choose from. We have AVI, which is up just over 3% at uh, 57 rands and 10 cents. Richmond is up almost 2% at 103 rands and 10 cents. BHP Bulletin is up 1% at 313 rands and 30 cents. NAMPAC is up 0,2% to 29 rands and 60 cents. And on the downside, we have Implax, which is down almost 3% at 111 rands and 10 cents. Truist is down just over 2% at 82 rands and 20 cents. MTN is down almost 2% at 190 rands and 50 cents. And lastly, we have ShopRite, which is down almost a percent at 160 rands and 60 cents. Can you give us the latest indicators? Sure. Currently, we have gold, which is trading at $1,377.20 an ounce. Platinum is at $1,519.50 an ounce. Brent crude is at $110.50 per barrel. And finally, we have the rand, which is trading at 10 rand 10 cents to the dollar, 15 rand 90 cents to the pound, and 13 rand 50 cents to the euro. That's it from me, Elvis. So, dear Singh from the dealer room at Sussman Securities, thank you so much for your time. This feature was brought to you by Telcom Business. Talk to Telcom Business about getting you on the journey to convergence with a tailor-made solution. Telcom Business. 
Marilyn, I need a non-automated, hand-operated ink dispenser for the objective of on-paper documentation. A pen, sir? Yes. That's the word I was looking for. Using several words when one will get the job done doesn't make sense. Neither does using several providers when you can get voice, mobile, fixed, data, cloud and IT from one service provider. Call 10217, click telcom.co.za forward slash business or visit a Telcom Direct store and get a tailor-made solution. Convergence. One solution, one service provider. Telcom Business. Now remember, you can engage with us on that number 34701. That is the SMS line. You can also like us. Um, no, you can't like us. You can follow us on the Twitter page uh, at SAFM Midday Live. That's the, the Twitter handle. And, of course, you can email us at middaylive at sabc.co.za. This one from uh, Ananias. He says, I believe whoever initiated the commission was supposed to highlight who will fund the lawyers representing the miners till the end of the Commission, I want to hear the truth about what happened in Morikana. I don't want to hear about any financial disputes. That's from Ananias, uh, very strong words there. He wants to know the truth. So, let me know what's on your mind. If you have any thoughts on the issue, you can SMS us. Uh, once again, that number 34701 and uh, the Twitter handle as well, uh, that uh, Twitter handle uh, at SAFM. Midday Live. We'll come back to some of those comments in a short while. As South Africa celebrates Women's Month, two remarkable women in the Northwest Province are making strides in building their lives and touching others. One, a blind mother of three, was a victim of domestic abuse and is currently pursuing an LLB law degree, while another, a university undergraduate student, recently presented a paper at a conference in the United Kingdom. The stereotype of feminine inferiority do not impede on the success of these women. Tsepang Mulale compiled this report. 37-year-old mother of two, Masilon Sudisani, who hails from Ngobi village near Hamanskral, is a victim of domestic abuse and victimization. She says her husband began abusing her shortly after becoming blind in 2008. Nsudisani says being a disabled person who is subjected to domestic abuse was the hardest thing ever to happen to her. My husband started to see me not as a woman enough because I was blind and then I was still sick and then he started to be abusive. He would come in the morning and then if I ask him where do you come from, I mustn't ask. He beat me where I went back to the police station then it ended up at the court. Then at the court the magistrate told him he must move out of the, out of the house. He moved out and then he came back again. She says being a disabled mother forced her to transform her life from just an unemployed divorcee with no qualification to pursuing her studies in LLB law and also becoming a motivational speaker. It was tough, but I told myself, you know what, this guy was beating me. At the end of the day, I'm going to get dead. And what about my kids? They're going to suffer more because no one will look after them. But I've told myself when I get out of the marriage, I deserve better. But I'm blind. And then if I'm blind, it's not going to be easy to get a job. So I told myself, you know what, for me to get a better job, it's better for me to study. A United Nations Women's Organization, which is currently headed by South Africa's former Deputy President, Pumzilim Lambunuka, believes that stopping violation of women's human rights is a moral imperative and joining in the efforts to stop violence is everyone's responsibility. These sentiments are shared by 21-year-old Naledi Modise, a third-year student who recently made a presentation in the United Kingdom on violence against women and instances of corrective rape in South Africa. 
I was invited by the Harry Guggenheim Foundation through their partner Aisa to go and present a paper on an aspect of violence in the continent. Within the choosing, it was just recently after... Oscar Pistorius had murdered his girlfriend. Violence against women in the country was a topic of discussion. And I spoke about corrective rape because it was something that is hardly mentioned in mainstream media. It is homophobia versus patriarchy within the country because you have these men raping lesbian women to correct them or cure them of their sexual orientation. Now, the problem is to cure means that there's a disease. So they're basically saying that these women, there's something wrong with them. Modisa says although there are agencies in the country that advocate for women's rights, our justice system and media have failed the rights of homosexual women. She believes that more should be done. Corrective rape should unequivocally be declared as a hate crime. The justice system should create a special wing where they just focus on this particular type of crime, especially within the rural areas, for which that is the place where they are most prevalent. Because this is something that is so sensitive. Now it seems as if they are being ignored. When HIV and AIDS was so widespread, they went and they had soul cities, soul buddies, so many educational TV shows that went out into the South African public to say that this is a problem, but this is how we're dealing with it and this is how we can address the issues. These women say their past experiences have had a great deal in transforming their lives and they want to use those lessons to touch other people. For SABC News, I'm Sepang Molale in Mahikei. A dream of a state-of-the-art chicken farm has turned into a nightmare. A bank loan was supposed to make this dream come true. The way they push me to the ground, tomorrow I don't know where I'm going to be. Uh, you know, overall if you see, it's not my fault. As clients continue losing assets, some banks claim documents were lost in a fire. Investigating securitization. Watch special assignment Thursday at 9.30 on SABC3. My daughter became a professional musician at the age of nine, even if it was just for a day. Old Mitchell took her to play with the Johannesburg Philharmonic Orchestra and let her leave her dream of becoming a musician 15 years before it happens. I'm glad we started saving for her education early. We all have dreams. The only way of making them real is by planning. Contact your old mutual financial advisor or your broker or call 0860 606060 for advice on an education plan for your child. Let us join you through every stage of your life journey from today. Do great things. Old Mutual, a licensed financial services provider. On some of your comments on the Twitter page, Tabza Mashekh says... Since President Jacob Zuma set up the Marikana Commission, he should set up the funding as well, because it's really unfair to the miners. Now, these are some of your thoughts on the Twitter page, on the SMS line, and, uh, of course, I didn't receive any emails there, but these are some of your comments. Right now, it's time for the world of arts and popular culture.